0: Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink." And Moses did so, in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and fought with Amalek, while Moses Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book. And recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner. The Word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. morning. My name is Dean Miller, and I'm your friend. I'm not your pastor or your children's guy, but I am your friend, and it's my privilege to be here with you again to preach um, as we go through Exodus together, your church and our church. So why don't we pray together? Dear God, we have heard and sung and read several times that you are Lord of heaven and earth. You are vast and over all that we see and understand in ways we could never understand, and you are also in it with us. We'll see that in our passage this morning. Some of us have things going on that feel um, probably too overwhelming and Beg the question whether you're really Lord of earth or not and are concerned about earth. And we bring those things to you. We pray that as your word is living and active, that it would be active among and in us this morning and that we would be open to what you have to say to us. In your name, amen. Well, again, good morning. If you have a Bible and want to turn to Exodus 17, that'd be great. I usually preach from an iPad, and I charged it on Friday, so I'd be ready for you, and then I woke up this morning and looked at it, and it was at zero percent, so I'm working my iPad and my phone, which I, so if you, I'm not playing Clash of Clans, or if my iPad goes down, I've got my phone as a backup, so that's why, I'm, if you see me doing this, that's why. How many of you have ever been a place in some sort of game or experience at work or where well, you knew you needed other people, right? Like you knew you needed a team of people to get something done, to, to thrive, to protect, to plan, to guard. Um, one of my favorite YouTube videos is, you can go home and look at this if you haven't, it's called Battle at Kruger, K-R-U-G-R. And 80 million people have viewed it, and I bet some of you have seen this. It's, it's a, a group at Kruger National Park, in Kenya that is on a safari and it's one of the classic Kruger safari kind of or um, YouTube videos you have people sort of reserved sort of objectively looking in this beautiful veldt, and all that's happening and then suddenly the veldt comes alive with what the belt does things get attacked things look like they're gonna get eaten and you can hear in the exclamations of the people like they go from being objective observers to oh my gosh they're suddenly emotional participants in what's happening and what happens in this is they have a, a, there's this woman who has a span, and on the, her span, she has a whole flock of water buffaloes, a whole herd of water buffaloes, and then some lions lying in the, the tall, tall grass, as lions do. And the water buffalo are headed toward the lions, so of course you hear, ooh, ah, ah, oh, what's going to happen to the people, with the woman on her phone and the other people? And then suddenly the lions jump up, the water buffalo run, the lions Grab a baby water buffalo, they're so fast it's amazing to see how fast happens. They jump on it and they drag it, and they end up landing in a in a in a pond and so there's suddenly four or five lions trying to drag this baby water buffalo out of the water. You can hear the cries of the water buffalo. It's very disturbing, and the herd of water buffalo are suddenly left with like. What do they do? And the herd of water buffalo over here kind of circling and figuring out what to do. And one water buffalo comes up and tries to, to, to get the baby back and the lions chase it away. And then as the lions are trying to drag the buffalo out of the water, a crocodile comes up and grabs the other end of the baby water buffalo and starts to drag the crocodile in. So suddenly you have, and then they begin to bite the leg of the lion that's in the water. So these lions think, hey, all's great. Suddenly they're being eaten by a crocodile. Like this is not what they had planned at all. They've got water buffaloes crocodiles and the baby and the lions. And then suddenly what happens is the water buffaloes, you get the sense the water buffaloes have a meeting and they look at each other and they go, you know, we're water buffaloes. Like, look, we have these huge horns. What are we doing? We could take them. And they begin to come out and suddenly, and it looks like kind of the head big daddy water buffalo is like, I'm not allowing this to happen. He comes up and he begins to, to basically spear the lions one at a time, boom. And then he backs up because they chase him. And, then, and suddenly you can feel the emotional stability of the lions shift. And they realize, oh my gosh, we're, this is not going as well as we hoped. And the water buffaloes finally decide we are water buffaloes. There's like a hundred of us. We're not gonna let this happen. And they chase the lions off. Lions are getting thrown over the air. Crocodiles have to go back into the water. And the baby water buffalo heads off. Battle at Kruger. Go home. It's totally worth the eight minutes if you want to watch it. And what you see is when the water buffaloes figure out how to be a community and together, they can fight. They can win a battle that looks lost. And we're going to look at a passage this morning, Exodus, where that's going to happen. The Israelites are going to figure out if we band together under God, we can win. We are almost two months into this series of Exodus this summer. And I hope you're reading on your own and using the the discernment guide that Johnny gave you as you pray and think and reflect on some of these passages yourself. Our church has found it rich and refreshing and challenging. And just a couple quick overviews to remind you, I'm going to give you a few numbers here all at one time. So remember, we said Exodus is a three-act play, right? Three-act play, God the Savior, God the Companion, God the Indweller. Okay, three-act play. And the whole book itself is a visual aid into what our life with God is like as a redeemed people. What Israel's going through is what we go through the opportunities we have to trust God and obey God, how God shows up, all those things mirror our own experience with the Lord. Now, in those three acts, the central scene is Yahweh revealing himself. So when I was here a few weeks ago, we saw Yahweh revealing himself to Moses, the central scenes of Act 1 was the interaction with God and Moses, and then God saved and took Israel out of Egypt at the end of Act 1. Now, the central scene of Yahweh revealing himself is right on the horizon. That's where we're going to be in the next couple weeks as Israel gets to Mount Sinai. But where we are right now is Act 2, Scene 1. Okay, Act 2, Scene 1. And Act 2, Scene 1 has six mini-scenes that cover the two months of travel of Israel from Egypt to Mount Sinai. So Act 2, Scene 1, six mini-scenes. And all those six mini-scenes are signs of God providing on earth. Lord of heaven and earth, as we sung and prayed, God is providing in heaven and earth in daily ways. He's taking Israel across the Red Sea. He's changing bitter water into sweet water. Last week, you saw he's providing manna, food. This morning, we're going to look at two mini-scenes. He's going to provide water in a new way. He's going to help them fight Amalek. And then if you kept going, you would see him send Moses' father-in-law Jethro to give Moses wisdom on how to lead this huge group of people and to create organizational infrastructure for Israel. But six many scenes of God providing. And what we see pretty clearly in these is God is forming the people from a nation of slaves into the kingdom of priests he wants them to be. His objective is to form them as a people for himself and for his name. And he's doing that in three stages. If you have that slide and can put it up, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We said the way God forms Israel is the way God forms us. He takes them through orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Anybody remember that from a few weeks ago when we were here? Anybody thought about it since then? Just say yes, humor me, okay? So have you thought, again, like we've said, like again, like a student could be oriented at high school, graduate go ready to disorientation the first semester of college. Lord willing, by the end of first semester, first year, they're reorientated, and they go back as sophomores excited to be there. That'd be a quick example. What God is doing in Israel is taking them through these stages. And this whole first scene of act two, everything you've done last week and this week, is disorientation. Red Sea, manna, water, Amalek, Oh my gosh, it's all disorientation. So in essence, the whole two-month theme of Israel from Egypt to Mount Sinai is disorientation. Some of you that might feel like, how could God make me feel disoriented or put me in situations that disorient me for two whole months? Some of you might feel like two months, that's nothing. I've been that way for 10 years or five years with the Lord or two years. I hope these are helpful. I hope you've had a chance to talk about them together because again, I said last month, we'll go over this when I come back and here we are. But in these six scenes, disorientation. And what God does in these scenes for Israel and for us is show us he will provide and show up in the everyday. Last week, manna, right? This edible expression of God's presence and love for Israel. A daily edible expression of what God thought of and intended for Israel was to be with them and provide for them. Later this morning, we will take part in an edible expression of God's daily provision and commitment to us when we have communion together. I hope you begin to see the themes biblically tie together. The, what Israel experienced with manna is the same thing. You and I celebrate when we have communion. So this week, two of these many scenes, the, one with water, one with a battle. The first is this water. Israel moves from where they were last week in the, the valley of sin. We don't believe that's theological sin, is just the name of the valley. They moved to a place called Rephidim and they suddenly look around and they're like, we don't have any water, we're gonna die in the desert. Right, they're dehydrated, this is a real concern, this is not a pretend thing, we need water to survive, right, you and I need water. And last time there was at least water that God could change, the last scene where we had water issues, God could change it. Now we have literally no water, rocks, sand, nothing. And we see this pattern that Israel has in the difficulty here. Tragically, the pattern is not there's an issue that confronted, they worship and praise and ask God for help, and then they patiently wait for God to show up. No, the pattern is there's an issue, they complain, Moses talks to God and God provides. It's what happened last week, it's what happens here. Even though they've had a water issue before, they don't know yet to go to God with it. Even though they had a daily need God provided before, they don't know yet to go to God to ask him to solve it. Last week, though, they've at least arced out of their pattern from last week in terms of how they go to God or go to Moses. Last week, they grumbled. If you look at Exodus 15 and 16, you'll see the constant repetition of that word grumble, 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 grumble in the Hebrew and the English. Now they've gotten better at grumbling. Now they've moved from grumbling to quarreling. Grumbling, right, is just me and Johnny and Corky saying something's wrong. Quarreling is like we're gonna fight, and typically who are you gonna fight in that situation? Whoever got you there. Mom and dad, your teacher, your mentor, your pastor, or Moses. You got us in this place. And they begin to ask Moses rhetorical questions. Why did you bring us out here to die in the desert? Right, like how's, how's Moses gonna answer that? I don't know why I brought you out here to die in the desert. And what that scene sets up is these two trials then. There's the, Israel's going to put Moses and God on trial and God's going to put Israel in a test and a trial. There's a couple clues of that. One, just the very names they're given. They name the place Massah and Meribah, which mean testing and quarreling. Those are the names given to where they are. They use that charge. It's a legal term, homicide with Moses. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? Moses has to use his staff, which is his judgment, legal authority. Moses brings the elders out. Yahweh has Moses bring the elders out to pronounce and talk to them about what's about to happen, which is what you did in a trial. And underneath the charges of Israel with both Moses and God is this accusation and rebellion. Do you care about us? Can God still save us? And of course, the driving question of the narrative, who saves and who do we serve? Can God save not just from Egypt, but from spiritual persecution and my mortgage and my job, my desire for my kids to know Jesus, my aging parents, my general issues with anxiety or sexual temptation, the person at work who got a promotion over you? Does God save in our daily needs and concerns? They've lost perspective. They've lost memory. They've ceased to practice giving thanks or worshiping. And yet, as you read, God still patiently, lovingly provides them water. That's the first many scene. Second many scene from this morning is this attack with Amalek. They're attacked. Like the lions attack the water buffaloes, they are attacked. These are descendants of Esau. They're nomadic people. Clearly, they see Israel's nomadic journey as a threat to their own place. Maybe Rephidim was where they got water and they show up and Israel's got water. And so they attack in a cowardly way. You know, what the lions did was grab the weak link, right? The baby water buffalo. The lions did not say, let's take down the king of the water buffaloes. What we read in Deuteronomy 25 is what Amalek did was come and in a cowardly way attack Israel from the behind. The people who are straggling maybe kids and women at the back to try to drive Israel away. And what Moses and Joshua do is rally the troops. The community gets in on it. They fight together before God and with God. Joshua, Aaron, her, Moses, suddenly new names. We haven't heard of her before. We suddenly find out they have warriors ready to go. They're fighting with swords. But significantly and most importantly, they're fighting with prayer. Moses goes to pray. And then the scene finishes with a reminder. Remember these things. They put up this banner. God did this for us. God did something here so worthy of his power that it's not worth forgetting. We're going to make sure we remember what God did. Some water, a fight, and the charge to remember. That is chapter 17. And I just want to draw three particular things out of this text for us this morning. First, remember, and we're going to use that word remember because that's the encouragement we're given. First, remember how easy it is to complain. I know you just covered it last week, so did we, but here it is again. In these six mini scenes where God's providing for Israel, again and again, they're tempted to complain. And yet, how remarkable is it that God is patient with us and with Israel to provide for them still in the wilderness? You know we want to pray give us the bread of heaven that's what man is called last week right give us the bread of heaven but please don't make me develop the virtues of heaven give us the bread of heaven god but don't make me develop the virtues of heaven i was reminded of that some of you are familiar with the uh, instagram feed babylon b anybody read that it's brilliantly done if you want something funny to laugh at tomorrow And they poke a lot of fun at the church, and they had a great uh, post a couple weeks ago, a young couple saying, this church doesn't have enough programs, says a couple that never volunteers. Right? This church doesn't have enough programs, says a couple that never volunteers. Complaining is just easy, right? Here the Israelites are given over to fear, they forget that God just took care of them several different ways. They show just how young they are in the Lord and they complain. Complaining's not hard to find. Nobody ever needed to train you in it. Nobody ever took you aside and said, you're probably not good enough at complaining. Let me show you how to do that. No job interview you ever applied for says, we are looking for a complainer. What our major initiative needs, our NGO needs... Our client service needs, our contractor needs, a complainer. Because Israel's intent is to get to the promised land. Just get us where we have milk and honey that sounds great. Just get us there. And God's intent is to form a people for his name that is a witness and a nation of strength and the goodness of the kingdom of heaven. And our intent is to, to love God and frankly have it work out the way we want. Have two plus two equals four. I come to church I read my Bible, I pray, and things work out. I don't get sick, my kids are great, I never lose a job, I drive the car I like. But what God is still about is forming a people for his name that is a witness to his strength. And guess what, the way you and I want things to go doesn't really compute with God. Israel wants water and God wants a kingdom of people as a witness. What they need are heavenly virtues to be God's people, trust, obedience, worship, love, selflessness. And to develop these, God's often going to put them in places that look dire, like Rephidim. This is a man named Philip Ryken. For the purpose of their sanctification, for their formation, for their disorientation, God put Israel in places, took them from a place of provision to a place where there was nothing to drink. They had provision in 16 and 17, so they're in this wilderness again. And sadly, they don't have virtues. They have vice. Again, they're really good at grumbling. And underneath that grumbling is the real fear and concern that maybe God doesn't love us that much. Maybe God's promises can't be trusted. Maybe his word is not true. Maybe his story is not the real story of the universe. God, do you care? They've lost perspective in a pretty comprehensive way. They've forgotten what God has done. They've forgotten their own complicity in the wilderness. Why is creation, the wilderness, the wilderness? What made creation? What do we believe as Christians? What makes creation the wilderness? Our sin, right? The fall. Right? Like the very reason that we have a, a, a geographic, physical wilderness in the world is because we are sinners. That's what we believe. Our sin ripples out to God, ourselves, our neighbors, and the world. Creation groans is what we hear. So the very reason they're in a wilderness is in some ways partly Israel and our responsibility. Even what's going on around them, as we read later, they'll say we have no food to eat, right? That was part of the deal with manna. But then you read a little later when they get to Sinai, they have all these animals they have to herd. Where did the animals come from? I mean, what kind of arrogance is it to be like shepherding sheep and moving cows and then look at God and go, I got nothing to eat? I mean, got nothing. That's how blind they are and how blind we get, right? And they forget who their leaders are and what their leader's job is. They looked at Moses and thought, your job is to do what we want you to do to get us where we need to get. Get us to the promised land as fast as you can. Moses' job was to follow and obey God to help form a people for his name, and that meant it wasn't always going to be easy. Moses should have handed out job descriptions for himself to Israel. Here's my job. Part of that is not to make your life easy. I mean, how would you respond to complaining like this? It's steady, right? It's a drumbeat, it's regular. Anybody ever been in a van going somewhere and what you hear is, when are we going to get there? 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 Whether you're a parent or a sibling, how exciting is that, right? Some of you, if you don't know what it's like, I bet we could get volunteers here who'd be happy to have you drive kids home today. But we all do this, right? We all are tempted to complain. We all forget what God has done. We all assume that whoever's over us isn't loving us the way we want to be loved. But in that test and trial, God still demonstrates his covenant loyalty to us on his plan. Did God save them from Egypt? Yes. Did he take them across the Red Sea a few weeks before? Yes. Did he turn bitter water into sweet water? Yes. Did he provide them manna? Yes. Remember who Yahweh is in this scene. The water isn't just sweetened. It's provided from total impossibility. How does God make water, bring water to bear? How does creation burst forth in recreation in this passage? How many of you ever watched Bear Grylls? Right, so if you haven't, again, there's another YouTube afternoon. Your afternoon's planned. Ballot Kruger and Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls will take you places in the world that you shouldn't be and teach you how to drink and eat the stuff you shouldn't eat or drink, right? And he's, he's bringing stuff to drink from terrible things, things that we shouldn't talk about in church, like elephant dung, Anybody ever seen that episode? There'll be healing prayer at the end of the communion if you need to get that image. But he takes it and says, I'm gonna drink, and you look at him like I I can't even watch, but I'm temp- I want to watch, but I can't watch. God, God brings water for Israel from a rock. It's way past bear grills. God brings water for Israel from a rock. No wonder Israel's looking for new leaders because they would probably look at Moses in that point and go, oh my gosh. Moses, is, he's lost it. He's, try, he's hitting rocks with his staff. What do you think's gonna happen here? And water bursts forth. That's who God is. God redeems creation. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like all you have to bring to God is a rock. Lord, Lord There's no earthly way you could bring life from this part of my life. It's hard. Maybe it's, maybe all you have is a pebble. Maybe you know you're like my neighbor probably has a rock, but I got this little little baby pebble. And what we see here is God can take that pebble and burst life to feed and water not only you but other people. So remember again how easy it is to complain, but how big and vast god's love is for you and me second remember that it's only in community that we fight and move from promise to fulfillment that's another way to describe egypt to the promised land promise to fulfillment this scene this fight scene is the only battle scene in exodus remember israel didn't fight with pharaoh god did and the people are all in the whole buffalo herd gets invited into this battle Joshua goes, a bunch of unnamed warriors go, Aaron goes, her goes, Moses goes. Some are fighting actively in the way you'd expect with swords and clubs. Some are holding hands up and some are moving rocks for chairs. Anybody here feel like you're in some kind of battle for your life with God, for your friends, for your faith, for your family, your marriage, your work? What we begin to see, and as you read through Exodus more and Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and church history, is that battles are normal in our life with God. They're not every day, but they're not a surprise. In our lives as pilgrims, we are in battles and difficulties. And in that battle, are you alone? Do you feel alone if you're here in a battle? There's a reason that when you go to a church, we invite you to be in a community, be in a small group, be in a local this, come serve and volunteer on this team, be a part of that team. It's not because we want to make sure you enact the vision that we have. It is because we believe you will only be fully yourself in God and as strong as you need to be to fight the battles you're in with other people around you. The idea of the disciples being a community and Paul having people with him and the small groups of John Wesley, those are not brand new. Right here at Amalek, Aaron and Moses and Her, and Joshua are a statement to you. You will not make it in the battles you're in without other people. Exodus is a window again into how we can't do it in our own way. And a simple way to apply that this morning might be if you're here and you really feel like I'm in a battle during communion when there is prayer to go back and ask the people who are here who pray to pray for you because the battle might be admitting before God and other people who might actually see you walk that you have need for God's help that sometimes that is the battle <laughs> Because third, remember then that prayer fundamentally is what wins the battle. This is what makes us different from your average man or woman on the street. We actually believe in the seen and unseen. We actually believe God's at work and is over heaven and earth, that he gives daily manna and daily bread, and that your life, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, matters to God. And the central act of your life in the battle is prayer. The central act here in this chapter is Moses praying and his arms up. That's how Jews prayed. It'd be like you and I kneeling, which is more typical of us. And it must have been powerful and humbling, one, powerful to see Moses need other people. Remember, he's up on a hill, so all of Israel sees. It's not like Moses is up with like Darth Vader and he's got electricity coming out of his arms, he's laying down the MLX that way. No, he's just got his hands up, and yet he gets tired to the point where he actually has to have other people pray for him by lifting his arms up and helping him do it. Moses couldn't pray on his own. The leader of Israel, the humblest man on the face of the earth, the way Moses will be described in a few chapters. He knew what to do, but he still needs others to help him do it. Notice Moses, it's not like Moses lacks a vision or a strategy. He just need others, needs others to fulfill it. He can't do it on his own. And note too the significance for Aaron and her. What must it have felt like to be people who all you did that day was, was help somebody else's arms be in the air? Who do you want to be in the battle? Right? Who does our city? honor right like who would we write about we'd write about moses right and probably joshua because he's down there fighting but without aaron and her guess what moses does and what happens to joshua then so in some ways you could say the most important people in the act of prayer in the battle are aaron and her and all they do is move a rock for a chair they find moses a chair and they hold his arms in the air We were all in Philippians together in the spring, late spring, early summer. And if you remember chapter two, the superpower of heaven in Jesus is his humility because he comes from heaven to the cross. Again, these biblical themes tie together what are Aaron and her doing but acting humbly so that Israel can win this battle. To push back the darkness that you and I live in requires us to fight together. And it requires us to be people of prayer. So I want to do something to finish this, my sermon this morning. In a second, I'm going to ask us all to just go to prayer. And I'm going to ask you silently to pray for the person on your right and then silently to pray for the person on your left. Now, you might know that person. You might not know that person. Okay? That is Okay? God knows that person. Take a quick look. Some of you are like a couple rows across. You mean to be like, I need to make sure I even know what clothes they're wearing that are that far away. But you could pray for them that whatever battles they may be in, they would have strength. You could pray for them that they would have the community they need to be in the battles and fight that they want to fight. You could pray that they would not be complainers this week. If you're a parent, do not look across and pray for your child. Let somebody else do that. But you might, as a child, you might want to pray for your parents that they wouldn't complain this week. Let's pray. Dear God, I so love this church and am so uh, always blessed when I'm here. And I'm so grateful for their energy, for this city and this school and all the other places where they are sent every week. Lord, I again... uh, name before you that they want to know you and they want to honor you and they want to be strong and you alone know all the concerns and burdens they carry. You alone know the temptations we all have to complain this morning. The places where underneath it all we deeply wonder whether you love us enough to meet us in that particular place of anxiety or worry that we have. But Lord, we want to leave with strength and courage, and so we offer one another to you. So would you just take a few seconds and offer the person on your right to you. Lord, we lift up our brother and sister on our right. we thank you again for everyone here and so we take again a few seconds to pray for the man or woman on our left and we again lift and intercede on their behalf to you And Lord, now we offer up this room to you that you would give us the patience to lean into you when things look dry, to remember that the wilderness is where we are sent to know you in new ways, that you would grant us patience with ourselves to offer ourselves to you. You would grow our trust and courage. We ask you to cover and fill this room that it would be a... a, people living as a witness to you unto your name here in Vienna we pray not only for them but the children and the teachers who are down these hallways that you Lord I would ask that you would guide them as they seek to discern what your steps and vision are for them in the coming years speak clearly to them give them the community they need the vision they need the energy they need to love and honor you in your holy name, amen.
0: From anybody here, did anybody who could share even quickly? I didn't prep you on this. How this trip, this two weeks, encouraged your faith, challenged your faith, taught you something about God? If anybody could share anything, um, if you even just something short, how was your faith encouraged, challenged, uh, expanded in any way? You just come on over here and say something. Okay. okay. So, hey, all um, My name is Logan, and this two weeks, it was really important to my faith and growing it because I learned how important struggling is and how the love of Jesus will help get you through that and how suffering is necessary. And so, for all of you going through, like, I would say, like, a rough patch in your life or, like, even just a hard week, know that the love of God is always there for you, and it will always always help you get through it.
1: That's great. Thank you so much.